And I want you to open your Bible tonight, 1 John, back in the back, 1 John chapter 4. We'll continue where we were last Wednesday night. We were talking about the cost of overcoming. I think every church member, when you read about overcoming as a section of Scripture and you begin to point out how much emphasis is laid on overcoming in the Bible, I think all church members, Christians, aspire to be in that group and to be labeled an overcomer and to live your life being an, one who overcomes. I don't know how many people really understand what that means or all that interested in it, but there is a lot to say in the Bible about being an overcomer, but it'll cost you something. You'll have to pay a price. It won't just automatically happen. Once you come to the Lord, you'll have to realize that, that there's challenges that God makes to you. And they're not options. It's not something you vote on. It's not something you can do if you want to. It's this is the way walking in it type thing. Let me read this verse of scripture here, and then we'll do a quick review, and then we'll go on. 1 John 4 and 4. It says, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And verse, 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4, it says, for whatever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. I'm sure you would agree with me that because of that one statement, there should be a lot of emphasis in the church about having and using faith. Because that's the one single way that's pointed out here as to how we overcome the world. As I mentioned last week, everything that is in the world, of the world, and about the world is your biggest problem in this life. Even when you come to the Lord as a Christian and you don't know much about it, so you're not convicted by a lot of things yet, but you begin to realize that a lot of things you're attached to in this world, things you're really into, are things that you somehow sense are not what you should be into. You shouldn't be involved that much. And the more you study, the more you hear the word, the more you're going to, God will define what not only is of the world, but how dangerous it is and how damaging it is to your Christian life. I think there's a lot of Christians who live far below the level that God has for them because they just haven't subscribed to God's way or they haven't let go of the world's way. They just haven't seen the problem with all of that. And as I said last week, that life is full of trouble. You're living in a troubled world, a world that lies, the Bible says, in darkness. The prince of the power of the air is at work constantly going about as a roaring lion, seeking whose life he can ruin, who he can bring in subjection to him, whom the devil can take captive at his will, as Paul writes. And you'll find there are roadblocks and stumbling blocks all through life. And they cause a lot of Christians to give up and quit or to compromise the Christian life. We draw back sometimes and see how difficult it is to actually overcome. We see so few people that actually do that we say, well, you know, I don't know if that... I mean, a man can only go so far and do so much. And uh, we, you, know, you can't be perfect and... 
So you start talking like that or you listen to people who talk like that. You start entertaining those kind of thoughts in your mind and truly as, as a man thinketh, so is he. You begin to make excuses. You begin to back off. You even pat yourself on the back because you tried real hard. Or at least you're not giving up. I mean, you're still in the race, but, you know, yeah, I just, I don't know. I just don't know how you can actually, you know, I don't. And you start talking like that. Then you begin to listen casually to what is said. You're more interested in being a member of a church or a, a consistent, involved member of a church than somebody who's really feasting on the bread of life every week. It really hasn't become that big a deal. And yet... It's the bread of life that's the key to overcoming the world because that's where your faith comes from. And so when Jesus warned us in John 16 and verse 33, he said, in the world you will have tribulation. He meant that, and you know that. I think everybody in here understands that. The things that frustrate you are not, are not these good, wonderful things that come from God. It's the world and its message and it's rudeness, and it's wrongness, and it's darkness. It's not fair. Just things that just overwhelm so many people. And all the fear and the doubt and the uncertainty that comes out of the world, all the hypocrisy and the insincerity, all the grumbling and excuse-making, now everybody's a victim in this age. All of that is a product of the world. That's called World 101. And that's how people learn to live. You just, this is, you know, it's just like that's the way it is, brother. I and mean, it's just the way we do it. And it's not much. And they don't overcome. That's what this message is about. Because if you want to overcome, you can't just sit there and pride yourself in having come this far and be an overcomer. It's a price you have to pay to find out how learn to get up and begin to fight. You can't just let things happen. You fight back because the Bible teaches that. You don't want to fight, God will let you be overcome and be ruled by your temperament and be ruled by all those strongholds in people's lives that we war against and we just begin to live like the world does and hope somehow God sees the good part of us more than the ugly part of us and maybe on the basis of that we'll make it. Well, that's not the way God wants us to live. Sure, we face a world that's full of trouble. Yes, we're going to suffer persecution. Yes, there is trouble. Yes, there is difficulty all through life, especially if you're a Christian because God says deal with it. And something about us just doesn't like to deal with stuff. But we can't let it go. We got to deal with it. What the Bible says we're more than conquerors through Christ, we got to be conquering something. That's not just a song or a verse of Scripture. That's supposed to be a living reality in our lives. We are more than conquerors. Romans 8 talks about it. What do we conquer? Well, we have to find out. And you find out, the devil will tell you that you're, you're not ready for this. Oh, that's too hard. Oh, no, that's another one of those. Oh, I don't know. No, that's just a little too much. No, I think they're a little extreme. He tells you stuff like that in order to get you to draw back. That's all. Just draw back. Just give in a little bit. Don't take it so serious. 
convince you that you're all right. I mean, look at you. Everybody likes you. You're a nice person, blah, blah, blah. Good mother, good father. You're all right, but you're not overcoming. And remember what Revelation 21, 8 says. I'm sure some of you know it by heart. It says, he that overcometh shall what? Shall inherit all things. And I will be his God and he or they shall be my people. Let me ask you a question. If we were given a test tonight, if you were a classroom and I was a teacher and I asked you the one question, who does God say will inherit all things? And you'd have to say a group who are defined as overcomers. He didn't say church members. He didn't say everybody that raised their hand in a meeting. He said overcomers. They shall inherit all things. Last week, we looked at some of the ways the devil snares people and holds us back, ignorance and stress and pride and unteachableness, non-discerning. We mentioned those things. Now let's look at some things tonight at, at what the cost is. When you say the cost of overcoming, what are you talking about? And I'm saying this. If you're going to be an overcomer, if you really are going to follow the Lord and overcome, it's going to cost you. There's a price you'll have to pay because it doesn't just automatically come because you're a Christian. It's a lifestyle you have to choose to live on God's terms with his strength and with his power. And it's, that's just the way it is. Take the first thing. The price you're going to have to pay is you're going to have to have a, a relationship with God. I would call it a cultivated relationship. It's like God is here and you are here. He brought you to him, not just to stare at him and sing songs to him, but to draw nigh unto God. Can we do that? To actually see the invitation from the Lord to draw nigh, to come up and, and get to know him, to acquaint as the book of Job says, acquaint now thyself with him and be at peace. He offers in John 14, 21, Jesus used the word, the father and I will manifest ourselves to him. The word manifest is a, is a word which means to show, reveal. I mean, it's possible for us to actually know the Lord. God wants to show us himself. He wants to reveal himself to us. He wants to disclose himself to us. He wants us with the eyes of our spirit to see who he is and how wonderful or how marvelous he is, all the good things that are laid up for us. He wants you to realize that now that you're mine, now that you're a Christian, look at what's offered to you. Didn't he say in Ephesians 1 that God would give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened, that you may know, and the Greek word know is the same as the Greek word see. You know as though you saw it. I mean, some people say, I'll believe it if I see it. Well, there is a knowledge that's that real. It's the same as if you could see it. And you can actually be drawn to God. You can ascend to the hill of the Lord 
You can stand in his holy place. I mean, God offers that to us. And when he offers that to us, we have to cultivate that. We have to do something with it. I cannot assume that I'm going to ascend to the hill of the Lord without any effort. It's a spiritual term for drawing, and I have to pursue, seek first the kingdom and things of that sort. But this is what he offers to us. This word relationship, I looked up in the dictionary, the word relationship basically has to do with kinship. Kinship, part of the family. Uh, connected, it means to be connected. And to have a relationship to God is to know him. To take, as Jesus said, his yoke upon you, relate to him, connect yourself with him, and learn of him. He doesn't learn of you because he knows all about you, but you have to learn of him. I mean, how could two walk together except they be agreed? And the agreement process is you seeing things his way. I mean, that's just the way it walks. I mean, you begin to realize there are things you can't do anymore because you've got light. There's places you wouldn't go anymore because you have light. You begin to sense as you grow the presence of Jesus is with you not only to deter you from going to the old ways of the world, but to show you how to deal with stuff that comes up. All of this comes out of a relationship, out of your act of knowing, as a, the pursuit and learning about him. Come to me, all ye that are weary and heavy laden, and you shall find rest unto your souls. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, and you'll begin to know who he is. This is the way peace comes into the heart. It's not peace of the fact that you're a church member. You know better than that. But peace in the fact that I know in whom I have believed. And I am convinced and persuaded that what he's promised, he will do it. Therefore, I rest my case with him. I will trust him. And there's peace. You begin to think like Romans thinks. If God be for me, who can be against me? If he said he will do it, then he will do it. He said, I'm not a man that I should lie and the son of man. So he said, if I said it, I'll do it. You begin to rely on him to do that because he's no more just somebody you talk about in church, but somebody you actually know. As best you know how, you have a knowledge, an inward, inside knowledge of your heavenly father who is more and more showing you who he is and what he wants from your life. It's like the 91st Psalm, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High, he shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. That's why that rest of the 91st Psalm begins to show you all the benefits, all the realities of that price you pay. You set a lot of things aside when you come to the Lord. You, you begin to take time, as the song says, to be holy. Instead of doing a lot of things, you say, you know, I, I need to do this. And, and so you begin to pay that price. Instead of going over there, you spend a little time with the Lord. Instead of doing this, you do things God wants you to do. Maybe it's witness to somebody. I don't know. But as he draws you in, you begin to hear his voice to your heart. You begin to experience growth. You're growing up in the Lord. You're maturing. 
You don't fly apart like you once did. You don't give up like you once did. The knowledge that God has given to you that you have proven in practice brings assurance in your heart. There's a kind of confidence that you're beginning to have. I don't know that all Christians know what I'm talking about here or have experiences. I hope they do. There is a kind of relationship that God offers us that when you have it, you begin to be relieved of your fears and all of the uncertainties of whether or not God will or God can or God, you know. You just begin to know that if he said it, that's what I'm going to depend on him to do. If he said he'll do it, then he'll do it for me. That's what the relationship does. Let me say it again. When God tells you, I want you to learn of me, I want you to realize that your ways are not my ways and your thoughts are not my thoughts. I want you to be still and let me speak to you. Quit trying to figure everything out. Quit trying to justify just be still and listen to what the Lord is saying and learn how to meditate, learn how to think. Learn how to listen to your thoughts and let the Spirit of God begin to put things together in your heart. Remember, the more words you hide in your heart, the more there is there for the Spirit of God to work on you with. No word, no growth. No word, no light. Lots of word, lots of opportunities. And you find yourself overcoming old weaknesses and old tendencies, and, and you find that your faith begins to rise up to meet the challenge of what if, and I don't know, and I can't, and I don't think. All of that begins to wane in the fact that, look, if God said you can do something, you can do it. Not just because the preacher said it. Your relationship is not with the preacher. Your relationship is with Jesus Christ. That's where your strength comes from. That's where your hope comes from. That's where your certainties and your faith and everything else comes from. You got to pay that price. Another price you have to pay, secondly, is you have to realize that you have to resist the devil. He's coming at you with all that he has because you're a Christian. If he can come against you really hard early on in your Christian life, the devil thinks he can just overthrow you and discourage you, dissuade you until you don't try anymore. You give up and quit. But see, God says you don't have to think like that because there has no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond that which you're able, but will with the temptation provide a way of escape. You're going to have to do the escaping. God will pro provide and show you the way. You can't just sit back and say, well, you know, I don't know what I'm going to No, sir, God will show you what to do. And, and he'll show you all the various ways of the devil and what he's trying to do and how he captures people. And God will tell us all early. I'm sure, I'm sure he does. We're no longer, we no longer have the freedom or the right to make excuses to why we're not doing well. We have nobody to blame for why we're not doing what. Nobody in this room's a victim. I'm not talking about the natural times in this world when you were cheated, lied to, stolen from, molested, or whatever. Now that you're a Christian, you're no longer a victim. You have the power that is from God to overcome everything, including your memories, including the scars of your past, including all the wrongs that have left you in an unforgiving mode. 
You can't forget it. I'll tell you if I ever get a chance. You get freed from that because you overcome all that old worldly junk. The reason you do is because of light. The devil wants you to remember who wrongs you, how they wronged you, who wronged your daddy, your mother, the drunk that ran over somebody. He wants you to remember that. And when you see them, buddy, you let them know. And you be tough and don't you back down. You get right in their face. He wants you like that. And yet you come, you hear the word. You hear things like the Sermon on the Mount. We stumble at the Beatitudes, the first few verses. Talks about the meek inheriting the earth. You're not, the meek aren't in your face threatening somebody, are they? You ever seen anybody meek threatening somebody? You step outside, we'll see who's boss. I'm so meek. No, sir. There is a worldly trend to be like that in most everybody, and the ones that aren't that way would probably wish they could be that way. But the Lord comes along, the word becomes a light, it begins to shine in there, and it shows you that's not what God wants. That's not what he wants. That's what the devil wants because that keeps you from favor with God. It interferes with his flow of grace into your life. And he identifies these traits in our life because he wants us to deal with it. Because we, behind all this stuff is the devil. He's a tempter. He goes about like a roaring lion, doesn't he? Seeking whom he can devour. Telling you that you can't. You need to limit yourself. You need to back off. You're not ready for this. That's too hard. This is extreme. Did you know that what we're teaching tonight is extreme Christianity? Way out of bounds. And yet I don't know personally because I don't get around that much. I probably could learn better by being around more, I guess. But I don't know how many Christians in a church even think about overcoming, even know what overcoming means or know how to apply it. It's just not something that's taught. And there's somebody out there that loves to blind the minds of people that don't believe. That's the tempter. Now, if you're an overcomer, the price you're going to have to pay is at some point in your Christian walk, you're going to have to learn who your enemy is. You're going to have to learn about the devil and his ways. Spoken of many times in the scripture that he's called the tempter. He's spoken of as having wiles. He's a schemer. He invades and attacks the mind like he did Eve. Hath God said... Be reasonable, come on. I mean, after all, he begins to use logic and reason and make you an intelligently reasonable person just to talk you out of God's way, which is spiritual, where this other stuff is natural. To get you to back off a little bit. Look, you're making a lot of enemies in this world with all this devil talk. Just, hey, if God is, Christ is in you, don't worry about that other stuff. Devil ain't gonna touch you. And yet he goes about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he can devour. And the naive, non-discerning person is his target. He just begins to feast on people like that and begins to do whatever he can. Everything the world throws at you as a Christian to deter your Christian walk is all clothed in a word called innocence. Like Halloween. Halloween is just a fun time for the kiddies, they say without regard to where it came from, who invented Halloween, 
And what are all the symbols that go along with it and all the little games? What, what does all of that mean? What is, is there anything wrong with a witch? Or is there anything wrong with demons or skulls and crossbones? Anything wrong with a haunted house? I mean, is that wrong? Reasonable, logical people in reasonable, logical settings just don't see anything wrong with it. I mean, let, let's, you know, we don't want to rock this boat. Now, if you're an overcomer, you can't play that game. You say, look, I'm not here to make enemies. I'm not here to be anybody's adversary. I'm not here to rock anybody's boat. I'm only here to learn what's right. And if what we're doing is wrong, my conscience forbids me to participate in that. That will cause me to have trouble with you. I will be viewed as a narrow-minded, what? One of them. That you've gone, you've gotten into something that's taken you away from traditional, orthodox Christianity. Without regard for what is orthodox Christianity, where are the lines that we draw as Christians? At what point in our Christian life do we shun the appearance of evil? I mean, when do we do that? Or is there anything in the world that's evil? No, it's innocent. And yet your heart begins to say, that's not innocent. I'm taking my child into something that glorifies a devil. And everybody's having so much fun bobbing for apples while they're doing it. And here I am with the light I have about, you know, a witch. What well, says in the Bible here that you, a witch in the Old Testament was to be stoned. You know, one of the kings of Israel, one of the reasons he died is because he sought counsel from a witch. He died for that. Ten tribes to the north, Israel, two tribes to the south, Judah and Benjamin, they went into captivity because of these other gods that they sought. Can you imagine they would make them a little god? They would cut down a tree or a rock and hone it out and make it look gross. And then they'd bow to it and they'd say, well, they said it in the Exodus. This, these are the gods that brought you out of the land of Egypt. Oh, is it? Yeah, we just made them back here in the back, but they're the ones that brought you out. Just finishing Isaiah and halfway through Jer Jeremiah now, over and over and over, God brings them back to the knowledge of that. You have turned from the one true God to worship sticks and rocks. And therefore, I will cast you out of this land, and you shall know terror and waste. And they did, because they forsook the Lord. Now, if we're Christians, and God is jealous for us, isn't he? Then his desire is to draw you to him, to proclaim to you his word, and then to tell you that now one of the reasons this ain't working for you is because there's a devil out there who wants to make confusion the, the, your problem. Well, it's all so confusing. Well, that's the devil. There's a simplicity that is in Christ, isn't there? Somebody years ago said something about me. They probably meant it as a little bit of a put down, but I took it. I really did. I took it as a, yeah. Somebody said, well, his messages are so simple. I hope so. I hope so, so these kids can understand it. I find that everything the Lord shows me is simple. And some of the very difficult things, end time things, 
eschatology and the things that are about to happen, they'll, they'll be shown to us too. But until there's a real true revelation of that, it's kind of confusing. But God shows us things, especially when we're willing to seek out and to learn who our enemy is and that we must resist him. That we can't just let him go around our home and mess with our children and do the things he does. We take a stand and the school officials think we're just weird people because we take our kids out of school during certain days or wind up homeschooling. And we take stands that we don't do that. I'm not doing that. I'm not crossing my heart and hope to die, stick a needle in my eye to tell the truth. I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to simply tell the truth because that's what the Lord wants. And what's the devil tell you to do? No, you don't have to ignore the truth, but just don't tell it. Just don't tell it. I mean, you're going to lose a lot of money if you do. Look, at, I mean, stuff like that. Look in Romans chapter 6 with me, if you will, in verse 13. Don't give in, folks, to all of your mental ideas. Don't give up. Don't give in to pressure. Don't convince yourself you can't. Don't convince yourself you're not ready for that. Don't say that. Say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, find out how. Spend time as you Get a serious mind on when you come to church. Study. Find out. Search. Romans 6.13. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Don't let the devil use you anymore. He's behind arguing, fighting, splits, family problems, church problems, social problems, world problems, national problems, anger, ugliness. The devil is the author of all of it. I mean, we're told to love each other. That's one of the hardest things that the church has ever tried to do because we see so many flaws in so many people. Well, guess who majors on flaws? It's the devil. And listen, folks, and we all know this. If you don't, you ought to. As a result of being worldly, you become very negative. That's why a whole lot of stuff that comes out of your mouth doesn't not only glorify the Lord, it does the people who hear you no good at all. I remember there's been time like you. I'm sure this is true with all of us. Bonnie and I or somebody and I be in the car going somewhere and I'll think of something to say it and, and I checkmate myself. Is this something that's going to bless her or edify her? No. Well, why are you going to say it? I guess because I want her to know that I know something. So I just put it down and say, I'm not going to do that. She'll just have to know that I don't know anything. I'm not going to do that. And the third thing tonight is you got to know your enemy as somebody who is doing his best in the church to defeat us. Now, we know that both of these will go together, but the devil can be known like God can be known. Because there's enough revelation in the Bible. Turn to 2 Corinthians 4. There's enough revelation in the Bible about the devil that you ought to know about him. We don't like to study this, but this is part of the price you pay. You're going to have to find out. You can't defeat somebody you don't know anything about. 
There's just too many people that are naive in the church. In 2 Corinthians 4, 4, it says, in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest what? Do you see that? The lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ should shine unto them? All right, let me give you what you already know. The work of the devil is to keep the word of God from becoming light to you. A dead letter is just exactly that. You might have heard the truth, a glorious truth that meant absolutely nothing to you because it went in one ear and you said, yeah, 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 and went out the other ear. The word did not become a weapon, something you can use because you didn't retain it. It's like in Romans 1, there's those who don't like to retain God in their knowledge. They're so busy with other things. The world and its ways, for example. And oh, how the enemy loves to do that. Listen to these words. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 2, verse 11, a warning said, lest Satan should get an advantage or gain an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. And devices and wiles, one of the Greek words for one of those words is the word method, methodia, methods, his ways, what the devil employs. Things, just keeping things stirred up. That's the devil's work. Let me tell you something. The great need for overcoming is not so much out of the walls of the church, but inside, in here. Overcoming things that's holding you back. Overcoming things that makes you think wrong about somebody or something. A negative attitude. You need to overcome that. Because behind that's your enemy. He's ruling you. He's controlling you. You're ruled by your feelings. Somebody did you wrong, as we mentioned a while ago, and you see that person on the street and these feelings erupt. That person controls you. You're controlled by whoever it is that you want to get even with. And the devil keeps that on your mind. You've got to overcome it. You know how you do that? You forgive them. Sometimes you do the hardest thing you could ever think of doing it's going to that person and say, I want you to know that I've had resentment against you, but I forgive you and I'm not going to have it anymore. They may laugh at you and make fun of you, but you did right. The devil doesn't want you to do that. You got to know this is the way he works to make you disagreeable. If you can blame it on the way you were raised. You know, I didn't have a Daddy a lot when I was little. My mother, she hanging on, and we'd she made twenty dollars a week sewing down at the dry goods plant, and I was home free and didn't have any supervision. And my brother, we, you know, and, but you can make an excuse. The devil wants you to. Bless your heart, you're a victim. It's not your fault anymore. It's somebody else's fault. Or you were orphaned. Nobody wanted you. Oh, no, nobody wanted you, you poor thing. You should have an inferiority complex when you grow up. Nobody wants you. That's why you're not real smart in school. There's something wrong with your brain. Nobody wanted you. Your mother and dad didn't want you. You don't even know who your daddy is. Nobody wanted you. Nobody loves you. Nobody really cares about you, you poor soul. 
You just ought to sit down in some dark corner and feel sorry for yourself and be an overcomer. Either one, you're ignorant of what God says you ought to do, or secondly, you don't want to do it. Because you got to see through all of that. Every one of us, all of us in this room have been done wrong. Somewhere in our life, all of us have. Nobody here has had a perfect, smooth trip through life. None of us. And now that we're Christians, a whole new world has opened up to us. A whole new life. Forgiveness for one thing. Everything we've ever done has been forgiven us. We should therefore forgive everything that's been done to us. Not be controlled anymore by resentment and ill will. I'm free. And begin to pursue the Lord and realize that all the ugly in your life, in your mother and dad's life, or your parents, your, whatever, was the work of the devil. He's your enemy. He's the one you fight. The young lady that called me, I've shared this before. Her boyfriend, soon-to-be husband in a month or so, shortly, maybe it's just a few weeks, called me one night weeping and crying, very sad, just heartbroken. This young man had been killed in a car wreck in the county somewhere. She was just tore up, and I can understand why. I mean, your dreams kind of fade in something like that. You really don't know what you're going to do and how will you start over. I mean, this was my dream. Couldn't have met anybody like this. God really loved me and all of that. She was crying, and she said, why would God do this? Because she didn't know. That's what she had heard all of her life. You know, God did the tornado thing. God did the hurricane thing. God killed everybody like that. I said, God didn't do it. Got real quiet. I said, the Bible says that thief, the devil goes about like a roaring lion. Remember that? What's he trying to do? To kill, steal, and destroy. That's what he does. He's the culprit. He's the one you ought to fight. God's for you. The devil's against you. And I think she did all right after that. I don't know how it all turned out, but that's just the idea that a lot of people have. The fourth thing, and this one, I could talk about this one for a long time, but you're going to have to pay the price to get faith and to keep it. Do you believe you can get it but depart from it? Well, the Bible says people depart from the faith. The Bible says in one case in Acts chapter 13, the devil was trying to turn a man away from the faith, trying to do whatever he could to keep him from hearing the truth because the one thing the devil fears the most about us is us having faith. 1 Peter 5. Would you turn back there to 1 Peter chapter 5? Faith is essential in overcoming. Therefore, faith is essential in warfare, or faith is essential, absolutely necessary in warfare, and therefore it is essential in overcoming. You can't overcome without it. If the devil can keep you distracted when you're hearing the word, or keep you distracted by thinking about what you did today or what you're going to do tomorrow, or make the children or people around you making a lot of noise so that you can't concentrate. He uses children. That's why we have a nursery. 
He can do, he'll do whatever he can to keep this word from coming in and, and registering in your heart. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. Remember, we started out by saying the victory that overcomes the world is what? Even our faith. Now in 1 Peter 5 and verse 8, you surely know this. Be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resists how? There are some people the devil cannot devour or drink down. There are Christians in the church the devil cannot defeat. He can attack. He can throw things at them. He can do a lot of stuff at them, but he cannot defeat them. You know why? Because they recognize who he is, what he's doing, and they resist him, and they overcome. That's what we should be doing ourselves, all of us. The next verse, verse 9, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same kind of stuff you're dealing with is being dealt with by your brothers in the world, all over the world. You're not a lone ranger. You're not one of those people nobody understands me. Of course not. The devil wants you to think like that. He does. He wants you to think that he bless your heart. You're just, oh, poor thing. But your faith, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. And the excitement that comes when that first time or that ongoing time when you're just so convinced that God will do something. And then there comes a test of your faith. There's always a test. And you lay it out there. You lay your faith out there and it's not working. And you lay it out there a little stronger and it still doesn't look like it's working. Will you hold fast or will you let go and assume that it's not going to work? The choice is yours. Nobody can make that choice but you. Devil wants you to let go. Look at how many people you've thought about in times of difficulty in your own life. Well, who has God ever done that for? When's the last time you saw this happen or that happen? When's the last time you heard of this or that in our church happening? It's not going to happen. This isn't going to work. Oh, it's nice to talk about it. You know, everybody likes to hear all that, but, but it doesn't work. It's not going to work. You're not going to be healed. You're not going to be better. It isn't going to turn out the way you've confessed it's going to turn out. It doesn't work like that. You ever heard that? A lot of time, you're basing your faith not on what God said in his word, but people you know. Well, see, it didn't work for him, didn't work for her. Remember that family, didn't remember all that, and they claimed, all, yeah, well, look what happened to them. Are you telling me that they had faith in God as God requires it, and then God wouldn't do it? That'd make God a liar. Because he said, God is not a man who would lie. If he said it, he will do it. All he requires from us that attaches ourselves to the he will do it is faith. What things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive it and you'll get it. God doesn't lie to us. It's people who tell us that we're off track. It's people who tell you that you've gone overboard. They might as well say it like this. Faith doesn't work. God doesn't do all the stuff he says he'll do in the Bible. The Bible's not true. You can't depend on the word of God. 
if you can, the only thing in there you can count on is that if you, if you ask him to save you, he'll save you. And outside of that, there's nothing left. You have to wait till you get to heaven to realize any goodness. How many of you know behind that's the devil? See, I don't, don't believe because I said it. I just know that a lot of people have gotten started. They jumped in, grabbed a hold of this, and got discouraged, had a test, didn't know how to endure hardness, didn't know how to overcome. Nobody ever really taught them, I don't guess. And they kind of drew back and gave in. The Bible even talks about those in the last days who will depart from the faith. How? Giving heed to what? Seducing spirits and the teaching that is doctrinally wrong. That tells you you can't believe what God said. That's what it comes to. You cannot accept as true what God said in the word because God may change his mind. You should leave all your having up to God because he knows what's best for you. Well, if that's true, why ask God for anything? There is no reasonable use for faith if it's just whatever God wants to do, that's what he's going to do. I can never be held accountable for disbelief or doubt because faith doesn't matter. It's up to God. Why would he ever condemn me for doubt and unbelief then? James 1 doesn't make any sense. If any man lack, ask. But if he asks, ask in faith without wavering. For he that wavers like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Let not that man think that he shall receive anything from the Lord. Faith is not only what you get by hearing. Faith is what you fight with. And it's the one thing the devil attacks. It won't work. It's not going to come to pass. You can't do this. It's too hot, too cold, too far, too slow. You're too young. You're too old. Just anything to let go of your faith, back off and maybe rest on yesteryear's laurels and hope for the best. There's nothing about any of that that overcomes anything. Overcomers are those who are victorious, but not without a price. You have to fight. You have to engage your enemy. You have to fight. You have to make application of the word of God. You have to hold on to it. It's one thing to get faith. It's one thing to start. But it's another thing to finish. It's another thing to finish this course. Some people run a long way before they give up. I've known people that I thought were giants in the faith. They made all the right confessions. They did all the right decisions and and yet one day you look around and for whatever strange and unusual reason they gave, they quit. They're gone. They went back to something that requires literally nothing out of them. Nothing. They just maybe got tired. I don't know. I guess it's easy to get weary in this life. I guess it is. I've never read much about the Bible that encouraged weariness. It does say labor in the word, which means to weary yourself, to labor with all you got until you, but then you fire back up and go at it some more. It's not easy to keep your faith. It's not easy just to hold your ground when things seem to be falling apart. 
when the thing you prayed for hasn't happened or the symptoms in your body are much more serious than you want to think they are. You know, this could be serious. Of course it could be serious. It could be serious. You get in the car in the morning. Everything is serious. But there's something that conquers serious. It's the word of God. That's how we overcome. We believe what God said. If he said it, he'll do it. If he spoke it, he'll make it good. Amen. Another thing, the overcomer, the price you're going to have to pay is you're going to be facing persecution because of this. Once you step out and take a stand, you voice your beliefs. When you're Friends of, say, before or maybe even in the church, they begin to hear you say what you believe, knowing that the things you're saying, the words that come out of your mouth is the sword that's hidden in your heart, and you're trusting in the verbalization of this sword that it'll fight for you, and people who don't even know what you're talking about become your enemy. Boy, they're crazy over there. I'm glad I haven't heard all of them. I've heard, I've heard so many that now I laugh. I don't hear them much anymore, not as much as we used to, but all the stories about Shelbyville Christian Assembly used to be called that church. We didn't have a name other than that church assembly. And the reason that they talked about it was because of number, mostly healing, deliverance, stands you take about not maybe not getting involved with the affairs of this world, standing against a lot of things, taking the oath, and people think you're just nuts. Everybody does that. Well, I'm sure they do, but I don't think I can. I remember one day my neighbor wanted me to sign a petition to get rid of some element in the area, and he, I guess he had a lot of signatures on there, and I couldn't do it. He said, well, what do you mean you can't do it? I said, well, I don't, I, that's not the way a Christian would handle this. Now, he was a Christian man. I'm sure that was offensive to him. I'm sure it was. I am sure that offended him that I would say that as a Christian conviction that I had, that I cannot do that any more than I could take up a sign and march on Congress or write a letter, a blistering letter to a senator. I couldn't do that. My affairs are not with this world. My affairs are with the kingdom of God. Yours is too. We're sojourners and pilgrims in a world that doesn't glorify God. It lies in darkness. And one day the light, are we still the light of the world? One day the light, what's left of it, will be taken out of this world. And there'll be nothing in this world to fight the devil with. And then comes vengeance. It'll be called the day of the Lord. And Lord, the God will come with a vengeance. Heavens, the earth, tumultuous times in this world, people praying for rocks to fall on them, terrible times of judgment. I don't, I don't think I'm going to be here then. I think I'm going to catch the first load north and I'm going to get out of here. I do believe that. But we're living in a time. We're living in a time that is, that is difficult. And, and a time because of your stand, because of what you believe, you're persecuted for it. 
Sometimes you catch people staring at you. You have stands about the permanency of marriage, for example, and churches are full of people that have gotten around that morning. We'll not discuss it. And yet I've taught on it half a dozen times, and people go, on a, in a sense, ballistic. The very fact that you would believe something like that. Who do you think, and, and it's my conviction. It's what I believe. If I'm wrong, I'll, I'll have the greater judgment on the other side. If I'm right, I hope people listen. But we are going to be persecuted. You've got to pay that price. That means you don't back off. You don't back down. It's just things that, that you're going to do. Take, for example, our stand against the occult. I mentioned Halloween a while ago. That's very occult. You begin to tell people some of the things you can't do. I would never wear a Snow White and a Seven Dwarf shirt or Cinderella or Peter Pan. I would never wear that. wouldn't let my kids wear it because of what it represents. It's fantasy, isn't it? Fantastic fantasy. It's something that is unreal but supernatural. You know, Jelly is like that. He's supernatural. Oh, excuse me. Santa's like that. He knows what you're thinking, doesn't he? He knows if you're awake. He knows if you're asleep, doesn't he? He knows if you've been bad. He knows if you've been good. Oh, that's just a cute little thing about, well, it is cute to the world, but you know, I think the devil uses cute and innocence to betray you, to dissuade you, to defeat you, and, and so oppress you. Don't, don't take a stand here. You're going, look at all the people that are here. Can't you just keep your mouth shut for a little bit and don't say a thing? That's what he wants you to do. But you see, if you're going to overcome, you're going to get in trouble with a lot of people. Timothy said, all that live godly in Christ Jesus are going to what? Suffer persecution. Listen to these words. You don't have to turn to this. Let me, let me read something from the Old Testament about what can happen to naive people as it concerns the occult, devilish things, anything that has to do with, in some way or another, the devil. A zodiac. How many of you know zodiacs of the devil? Horoscopes. Fortune tellers. Crystal ball reader. Do you believe that you can look in a ball and tell of somebody's life? That's occult. That's devilish. God never said to go to anybody to know about the future. Because when you seek to know about the future by any means other than God and his spirit, you've gotten off base. Listen at these words. Deuteronomy 7, he said, The graven images of their gods shall you burn with fire. You shall not desire the silver or the gold that is on them, nor take it unto thee, lest thou be snared therein. For it is an abomination to the Lord their, thy God. A lot of people in these homes had these little figurines of, of a god, of some kind of a goddess craftsman made. Some of them were pretty expensive because they wanted some classy gods. So they had a little decorative, maybe some jewels and gold or something on them, and they had them in prominent places. Oh, boy. And God says every bit of that is an abomination because wherever that statue is, listen to this, wherever that statue is, he said, that you can be snared by it. When you attach yourself to it and in that way you relate to it, to inquire of it, speak to it, admire it, 
or look to it with some degree of devotion, you become snared by it. And that's what the Bible says. You become snared. There's a snare in your life. You may not look like it. You may not feel like it, but you're snared. He goes on to say, Deuteronomy 7, 26, he said, Neither shalt thou bring an abomination to thine house, lest thou be a cursed thing like it. But thou shalt utterly detest it, thou shalt utterly abhor it, for it is a cursed thing. I don't know if it happened here, but we've had gifts and presents given to us before that had occult items on it. And uh, thank you for giving it, but we threw it away. Broke it or burn it. People, parents buy games, they buy, what's that one popular game where you try to ask it a lot of questions? Ouija board. You can't even spell it, but a lot of people have one. Ouija boards. Do you think that's demonic? Well, I too many stories take too long to tell over the years and being in places and hearing stories about that. It is very demonic. A girl that Bonnie and I knew named Cindy had one in her closet. She called one day and said she couldn't sleep at night. She was terrified by something in her closet. This is when we began teaching on this back in the early, early 70s. That was last century. So a friend and I went to her house, looked in her closet, and under all the clutter in the back of the closet, sort of hidden, was a Ouija board. Took it out, cursed it, renounced it, and the spirit behind it burnt the thing up, and she never had another problem. Now, people who read that go, oh, come on. I could tell you Raggedy Ann doll stories and the story behind that and the little heart that's on there, you know, and what that did and how that worked. And a mother found a baby that was always crying and sick and not doing well, found a Raggedy Ann doll under her bed that her aunt had given her, threw it away, and it all stopped. And even when people hear that, they go, oh, come on. You mean we have to go into combat with a doll? <laughs> a guy once said, all this noise in the house, and they're fighting this raggedy end. Oh, man, we were knocking each other around. It's not funny. You're dealing with somebody, something that's bigger than you are, but smaller than God. And an overcomer has to realize that behind all this stuff, from the, all, the, all the occult stuff behind all of that is the devil. And you got to overcome it, resist it, deal with it, Forbid it and overcome it. Now, finally, you'll have to shun evil. You know this. An overcomer, as I've been saying, you'll have to determine what's evil. God will show you. But you have to learn how to shun the appearance of evil. That's another stand you'll have to take. People will think you're strange because you don't do this or do that any, anymore, but that's what you do. Because here's what happens if you don't, overcome evil and shun evil. You bring a curse in your life, a curse. When you have a curse on your life or in your life or in your family, you got a handicap in your family. You're extremely limited as to what's going to work and what usually doesn't work. The easiest sin in this life, I think, short of just giving in, the easiest sin is lying. Sparing yourself by not telling the truth. Misrepresentation 
buy you of something else or your life something else? Lying. Or how about stealing? Now, I know that people don't grow up just becoming thieves, but it's so easy to steal because you look around, nobody can see you. This is before cameras. Nobody can see you. Nobody would ever know you took it. It's stealing a man's wife, having an affair. Nobody's going to know it. I mean, who would ever know it? You begin to invade another man's presence, another house put together by an oath, and you step in there as a thief, a robber, a corrupter. Turn to Zechariah in the Old Testament as we come to a close. Zechariah chapter 5. Let me just read you one little section of Scripture here about lying and stealing. Zechariah chapter 5, verse 3. Then he said to me, this is the curse that goeth forth over the face of the whole earth. That's a lot of ground, isn't it? This is the curse that goeth forth over the face of the whole earth. For everyone that stealeth shall be cut off as on this side, according to it. And everyone that sweareth or lies shall be cut off on the other side, according to it. He had seen a scroll that was about 30 feet long and 15 feet wide, this scroll. And I guess it was written. And on one side, it was about lying. And on the other side, it was about stealing. They said this, people on this roll call here, on this scroll, who steal and lie, are under a curse. Verse 4, he said, I will bring it forth, saith the Lord of hosts, and it shall enter into the house of the thief and into the house of him that sweareth falsely by my name, and it shall remain in the midst of his house and shall consume it with the timber thereof and the stones thereof. Pretty serious, isn't it? The overcomer has to determine to live a holy life, a blameless life, and above board. You can't allow yourself to lie, cheat, and steal, be hypocritical, which is a form of lying. You can't allow yourself to do that anymore. Everything that God judges, you got to avoid. Everything that God puts a mark against, you have to turn away from. And the only way you can do that is by your will. I am willing to do that. It may cost you a job because you have to tell the truth. Have you ever been arrested? Man, 40 years ago. Uh, no. And as, as soon as you said it, you lied. Hopefully you get smitten and say, you know, I have been arrested. Well, I can't hire you. Okay, that's fine. But at least my heart's clear. My conscience is still good. Good thing about it as Christians, we've all lied and stole and cheated and something in our life, and God's forgiven us, hadn't he? Isn't it good to know that all of that's washed away as far as the east is from the west? But as a Christian, you've got to learn, like you said in Philippians 4.8, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are true, whatever things are honest and pure, whatever things really glorify God and his good ways. If there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things.
You see, I got, as an overcomer, I got to keep myself clean before God. I got to make sure my walk is in harmony with what he's taught. I got a devil to fight and I've got a, a life to live and things to overcome. But it, this only works. My faith only works when it's, un, when it's clear and uncluttered before God. Whatever it costs me, whatever I have to do to be one of them, that's what I got to do. That's what I want to do. And finally, Turn to Revelation 12, we're done. Revelation 12, verse 11. An overcomer is willing to make this supreme sacrifice. It's talking about your life. Your life. And they overcame him, the devil, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And notice, and they loved not their lives unto death. If it costs me my life to be true to God and to go the place he wants me to go, it is worth paying. Whether people will or not may remain to be seen. Let me read another translation. And loving not their own lives, they freely gave themselves up to death. You don't even belong to yourself anymore anyway, do you? You've been bought with a price. You're the property of God, his purchased possession. Another translation, we'll close with this one. They have conquered him because of the lamb's blood and the message to which they bore testimony. And they did not cling to life even in the face of death. What an interesting translation. That's a good speed did not cling to their life even in the face of death. The Philadelphia church in the book of Revelation, he said, some of you are going to be put to death, but overcome. Remember that? So we got to be willing. As I'm learning, as God's teaching me to surrender all that I am, all that I ever hope to be, whatever I can do, talents, I surrender it all to God and then make it my life's goal for the rest of my life to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and every, inf, all the information I need in this life to do things God's way. He'll show it to me. I got a place I can go to church. I got a place I can learn. I've got time during the day to research and check this all out. Really, it's up to me. Amen. Amen. God is good, isn't he? Are you overcomers? Stand to your feet. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for enlightened hearts for everyone that listens to this message, for those that are here, that an awareness of who we are and what we're on this earth to do will lodge itself in our hearts, and that when this life is over and we have lived it, that we will hear you say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Help us, Lord, to live a surrendered life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.